Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne. With me, as always, my good buddy, Dan. Dan, we got a new movie to talk about. We do. It's a couple weeks ago that we had talked about the first Captain Marvel movie that had helped to finish off phase three of the MCU. And now this week, we're going to be taking a look at her new team-up film, Four Years Forward Into the Future, co-starring her marvelous friends Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau. Yes, a brand new in-theaters film so definitely spoiler warnings are going to be coming we're going to be talking about it in great detail but first we're going to talk a little bit about some comic book news and dan you've got some stories in here about comics dying again yes it's uh so really kind of another another interesting uh like an article that came out heidi mcdonald published it she's been doing a lot of interesting stuff for a long time and there's a number of retailers who are continuing to make their predictions about what's going to happen. What's interesting is when most of them talk about comics dying, what they really mean is the direct market is dying. Essentially that, that sort of ecosystem of comic shops and the like. And I think the McDonald's piece, which we can put a link into uh, from the beat, is really insightful because it talks about this and and shows that the retailers concerns are valid but what's interesting is that a lot of the things that they seem to be focusing on maybe aren't what they need to be according to some there's a lot of different discussions about what it is actually um i think a lot of people just pin it on the fact that comics for the most part don't have hardly any ad revenue and so they're almost entirely paid for through the price of the comic which means that as a $4 saddle-stitched pamphlet, these things are ungodly expensive compared to almost anything else that's in the market. And it's kind of a miracle they've, they've survived as long as they have, actually. Because you don't see a whole lot of things like comic books that are this expensive for their actual content. You know, it's 30, right. 32 pages, 22 of them story. But it's an interesting article. I think that this sort of meme of comics are dying is something that's become almost a joke within a lot of circles of folks like me who've been at this because comics have been dying ever since I started collecting in, in the late seventies, right? Sure, it seems sure. every couple of years we are, we are sure that it's going to be the end. And a couple of times, to be quite frank, it nearly was the, the early nineties just about killed superhero comics and, and specialty comic stores. But we made it through that. Probably we'll make it through this too. But it's an interesting article while we're taking a look at. All right. Jumping over to Marvel Unlimited this week, we have 10 new titles that are going to be available. Uh, the only number one is a Children of the Vault, which is a Fall of X series. So uh, that that is a new number one. There is a Captain Marvel book that's available this week. Captain Marvel Dark Tempest number two is going to get released this week. So if you went and saw the movie and now want to jump into some Captain Marvel currently in the market, uh, that looks to be one of your options. So 
You can check that out on Marvel Unlimited. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us this week? So we may or may not sort of touch on this topic of uh, of sort of culture wars this week while discussing the Marvels. So I wanted to put this in as a recommendation. It's a book I read a year or two ago. It's really good. It's called Superhero Culture Wars, Politics, Marketing, and Social Justice in Marvel Comics. It's by Monica Flagel and Judith Leggett. And it's actually got a really good chapter on Kamala Khan and Miles Morales. Uh, it also talks about a number of other topics. And I think it's a a really interesting and well-written piece that sort of looks at how Marvel has tried to negotiate this very difficult sort of environment where they have a lot of older fans and fans who are invested in sort of the status quo. But they also realize that those people are getting old and they're dying and that not everybody continues to buy comics into their 60s, right? So they want to make sure they've actually got characters who appeal to current generations. And a few times recently they've been trying to do things like that, to bring in newer uh, newer characters who are more attractive to younger audiences. And it's been a firestorm because those, unfortunately, those old invested readers, people like me, are the ones who still go to the comic book stores on a regular basis and support the direct market. And a lot of the younger folks are going to alternative places like getting their books as graphic novels or collected editions from Barnes and Noble. So because the big two and a lot of the comics publishers are so tied to the direct market and the comic stores, we've had a lot of interesting things go on. But they do a great job talking about, about kind of how Marvel has tried to navigate some of this in the 21st century. And it's, it's well worth taking a look at. All right. We will definitely have a link for that in the show notes. So you can check that out. And with that, that is going to do it for our news segment. And we are going to dive into talking about the new movie, the Marvels. This is your spoiler warning. This is a brand new movie. It is still in theaters. I'm going to speak for myself here and say I think it's something that's worth seeing. So if this is a movie you have not seen yet and you do not want to hear specifics about plot, characters, uh, performances, music, a post, a mid-credit scene that is amazing for who is involved, definitely stop right now. And watch, go watch the film and then come back and join us as we talk about the Marvels. All right, your film facts for the Marvels. The tagline of the film, higher, further, faster, together. The movie was released November 10th, 2023. It has a runtime of a quick 105 minutes. Box office worldwide estimate at the time of recording is $110.3 million. Domestic estimate is $47 million, which would be the lowest uh, grossing opening domestic weekend for any MCU film. All of this on a budget of $220 million. It has an IMDb rating currently of 6.2 out of 10. The movie stars Brie Larson, Tiona Paris, Iman Vellani, Zowie Ashton, Pak Soon Joon, Zenobi Shroff, 
Mohan Kapoor, and Samuel L. Jackson. It is directed by Nia DaCosta, screenplay by Nia DaCosta, Megan McDonnell, and Alyssa Kresik. Those are your film facts for the movie The Marvels. Dan, how about a recap for this film? So this has been a tumultuous first few days for the Marvels, so it's been interesting. But I made it on Thursday night, and you were out there this weekend as well, so made our way to the theater. So, good time. Um, Let's go ahead and just start by, and this is mostly just straight plot. We'll talk about a lot of the details and stuff later. So the Marvels leads off with the retrieval of a quantum band from an ancient hiding place by Darbin, the leader of the Kree. She immediately uses it to rend a hole in space, causing problems with the jump point network that's being utilized by Marvel's cosmic denizens to travel efficiently across long distances in space. While investigating this problem, Monica Rambeau touches the anomaly and immediately switches place with Carol Danvers and Kamala Khan. Kree soldiers end up invading the Khan home, Kamala meets Goose, and after various hijinks, everyone meets up at the Khans to formulate a plan. They end up traveling to Karnak, where a colony of Skrulls is threatened by Darbin. Darbin is using holes in space to suck resources off other planets in an attempt to restore the destroyed Kree homeworld of Hala. The Marvels rescue as many Skrulls as they can from Tarnak, and they hand them off to Valkyrie to take care of them. The trio of Marvels then bond a bit, and we get some backstory from Monica. We also learn that the quantum bands may have been used to initially create the jump points. Our team then takes off for Aladna, as Carol believes that Darbin not only wants water, but wants to hurt her personally. This is due to Carol having previously destroyed the Kree Supreme Intelligence, which Darbin believes led to the destruction of Hala in a terrible civil war. For this reason, many of the Kree in the movie call her the Annihilator when they see her. Aladna is a planet where Carol Danvers' husband Prince Jan lives, surprise, and it is 90% covered by water, so it seems like a perfect target for Darbin. The team gets there, we get a bit of Bollywood-style singing and dancing, because singing is the way that the the language works on, on the planet of Aladna, and then Darbin does attack as expected. The Marvels fight her off at first, but eventually Darbin escapes, and the Marvels give chase. As they do so, most of the water of this planet seems to be sucked up into the sky to be sent to the uh, the Kree homeworld. Exactly what happens to Carol's hubby or his planet is not actually revealed. So, a little bit worried for those folks, to be quite frank. It didn't look great. Yeah. Darbin then wants ma- atmosphere... She wants water, and she wants light. She got one from the Skrulls' homeworld. She got one from Aladna. Her final step is to steal the energy of the Earth's sun to use it to reignite the dead sun of Hala. The Marvels return and help with a rescue mission on the space station where Nick Fury and Kamala's parents are. This involves having kittens that have ended up on the station, actually flurkin kittens, eat people, and then pop them into a shuttle because it's easier to transport cats than people and then have them cough them out once the uh, once the shuttle is down on Earth. After this rescue mission, they take on Darbin and they nearly defeat her, but she tricks them, ends up stealing Kamala's quantum band, which she then uses the power of, along with her other band, to rip a hole in space-time 
that Monica has to repair by channeling the power of all three marbles. In doing so, she does fix the multiverse, but ends up on the other side of it, being tended to by Hank McCoy in the X-Mansion in the after scene. Back in the regular universe, Carol flies to Hala and flames on to reignite the Kree sun by flying into it, while Kamala starts looking to build her own super team. That's, uh, that, is, that is all the plot points, I think, and a few of the questions as to resulting uh, effects of said plot uh, for this movie. Yeah. yeah. All right, Dwayne, so that's the plot. What did you think of this movie? What were your initial impressions? My initial impressions were that this is a solid entertaining movie there there's it reminds it actually reminds me a lot about some of the comic books that we've read insofar as there is a story with some superheroes in it that if you think long and hard about some of the things that happen in it they start to get more and more questionable but by and large i i enjoyed this film there was a lot to like the the main three characters camilla khan Monica Rambeau and Carol Danvers, those three together when they're on screen are fantastic together. There's just this, this kind of electricity between them that I think just actually really works. And I, I, I liked it. There's just, there, yes, there's some things about the story that are a little nagging that don't, that didn't necessarily work for me, but like by and large, th this is a movie worth seeing. What did you think? I really liked that you compared it to a comic book. Because I think that, in actual fact, that is that is sort of... When I started really thinking about it, first off, my head started to hurt a little bit. And secondly, <laughs> yes. what, it, what it amounted to is I'm like, this is like a comic, in that a lot of goofy things happen. And if you right. think too seriously about them, it'll maybe it'll maybe not hold together. Because this isn't... I'm not sure any of this is how science works, right? So right. It, 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 it has some questions. But if you don't worry about that, if you're just like, it's a comic book. There's people with superpowers doing crazy things, and there's cats that eat people and, and whatever. It was fun. I just sort of made a decision going in to just sort of go, this is going to be an entertaining experience probably. I knew it was going to be short. I knew a lot of people had been writing it off. And I was a little worried about what I was going to see. And so I think I just went in and said, you know, I'm not going to overanalyze this going in. I'm just going to see how it goes. And I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought it was, it was entertaining in the way the characters worked. I really love the Khan family. They, their, yes. their time on screen. Almost always, I enjoyed it. Kamala and her arc through it, and then also just the character herself. Pretty much everybody, I think, has agreed she was the best part of the movie. That Amon Vellani's performance and just the, you know, the parts of the story that involved Ms. Marvel were the best parts yes. of the movie. She is absolutely adorable in this. The the she is the embodiment of all of us as kids. If we were reading comic books 
and that like idolized a superhero and then suddenly become gets to be face to face with with their idol they just she just completely fangirls out and just is like the the little puppy dog with the big eyes and and all this sort of thing and it is so believable it's just so just how you would expect a that situation to play out and yeah it she did she stole the she stole the show for me weird is you know what it reminded me of is do you remember in in uh i think it was captain america might have been avengers when colson has his captain america yes. cards yes and he's doing the exact same thing it's uh-huh. kind of kind of that on just a a slightly less generational level you know it's not uh right. that she's coming out of the ice it's that she's just got posters of her on her wall because she's a, a big fan so yeah Pete, i mean peter parker did the same thing in captain america civil war too true. he was like he he was all over it like because again these are supposed to be teenagers yeah. and and they're like idolizing these people and now getting to be see them face to face it was it yeah. was it was it was just adorable so, if we wanted to talk about this kind of a little bit, essentially starting basically in order, I guess the first thing we could do is just talk a little bit about where Carol Danvers starts and what's going on with her. And it seems that she's been in space a long time. She's been yeah. busy and stressed and, I guess, getting married. And she's got all sorts of things that have been going on. I think they did a pretty decent job of making her character a little more three-dimensional than it was in the first one and some of them. You know, in the, in the first Captain Marvel, I think when we talked about it, he is very much a soldier. And yeah. it's, you know, like stiff upper lip, don't really show that many emotions, just kind of go through and do do what you need to do type of thing. And here it's much more of a, she starts to bond with, with some friends and you see a different side to Captain Marvel, which is kind of nice. It's weird because it felt like she sort of had the same like character growth arc in this film that she had in Captain Marvel, because she was very much kind of a loner, didn't trust, uh, you know, anybody outside of the Kree until she starts the, you know, the onion of the plot just starts to kind of, unfold and and she learns that she's human and she learns about maria rambo and and all this and sees the pictures sees a young monica all that sort of thing she again starts off in this like really closed off workaholic hasn't been back to earth in like 30 years since since like she jumped away at the end of, of captain captain marvel which was supposed to be in, in the in the mid to late 90s and yeah, there, there's like, she doesn't know how to be around other people or hasn't really played teammates no. very much. And, and like the, you know, the, the snap has happened, all this sort of thing. And, and yeah, it, it, it felt a little similar, but it definitely felt different because the people she was interacting with were also people with superpowers as well. Yes, that is true, actually. It does cover some similar ground. But there you go. She, she went away for 20 years and lost all the lessons she'd learned. And now right. she learned them all over again, evidently. So how about 
how about Monica? Monica Rambeau. Then we see her. What do you what did you think of the Monica Rambeau character in this? He was interesting. Like I I had forgotten about this, but apparently I was I was doing some reading to get ready for this, and they talked about the fact that when she was in WandaVision, when she gets her powers, that that she was like agitated and didn't really want to talk or be around people talking about Captain Marvel. And mm-hmm. I hadn't made that connection that those were the that was the same character as the the daughter from the first Captain Marvel film. And so then it was like, okay. And so then we see this, this natural progression. She's still, they have not interacted since the events uh, of WandaVision. So she's still like, I don't want to talk to to Carol Danvers. Yep. I, I don't know what to say to her. I'm upset with her. I'm mad with her. She's family. And she's, you know, she said she'd be right back. And then what left for 30 years. I, I thought it was very believable the way the character played out. And then their initial kind of awkwardness of them having that first meeting in, in Camilla Codd's house, which was, you know, kind of awkward as well, because they had just beaten up a bunch of Kree soldiers in said house and the house was destroyed, basically. But then, like, they kind of started to bond a little bit and... I heard some criticism saying that the water went under the bridge a little too quick for this. But at the same time, if they're family or they feel like they're they're connected family, then you do give kind of family the pass. Right. You get mad at them. You kind of yell at them. You get agitated with them a little bit and then you just sort of move on. And and, and so I I liked the character. She seems especially powerful. We talked about how powerful Monica Rambo was last week when we were reading the comics. You know, I, I mean, she still feels like she's inferior in power when it comes to Captain Marvel. But like compared to a lot of other superheroes, she could really do a lot of work. And then mm-hmm. the fact that she ends up being the one that gets, uh, you know, exiled to the to the alternate time dimension uh, at the end was uh a little weird slash disappointing that she's the one that ultimately had to go but i guess somebody had to and i don't know what what did you think of of monica rambo in this my jokes maybe a little different i actually i i by when i when i did again watching it i thought that you know it was fine she was part of the team it was cool to have her there but it seemed to me that when I really think back on the movie, the parts that I remember are Carol and Kamala more than that. Sure. And that in some ways, Monica Rambeau is, is there almost more for what she can do for the MCU in future films. Like I almost don't think she's getting shuffled off to the X-Men universe, but she might end up becoming a big part of that coming universe. Yeah. You know, because if you look at the fact that Binary's there and Binary is her mom, right? Do you remember Binary? We saw her get her powers in a comic, an X-Men comic, a couple weeks ago. And that's Carol Danvers. Yeah, stole stole them from Carol Danvers. So, no, that is is Carol Danvers. Oh, that it? Um. Remember, she was on the ship piloting the X-Men. 
and then they were all in trouble because the brood had impregnated them yeah. with their weird little... So, if you weren't listening to that one, X-Men comics in the 80s and 90s, man, they were weird. But, but so to... She just sort of tapped into her Cree uh, DNA and became binary with the, that almost like sunburst power. I think what we're going to find out from that ending scene is that... Remember how they talked about during the... Uh, the reason why Captain Marvel got the gig is because she just arrived faster than her friend. I think in the alternate universe, her friend got there. Uh, he became yes. Captain Marvel. And then sure. eventually, because the X-Men are around, she turns into binary. So that in that makes one, Maria, perfect sense. Maria Rambeau is binary slash Captain Marvel in the universe that Monica just dropped into. And so we'll see how this all works. But... I, I didn't actually think that Monica had as interesting an arc in this one as the fact that she sort of was used as a way of setting up the X-Men in the future. He also sort of was the way they pulled in Nick Fury, right? Because she was working with Nick Fury on Saber out in space yep. and like oh, yeah. that was the, the you know that was the contact and and like she was working with him and so because she then suddenly was entangled and because, you know, she happened to be dealing with the other time yeah. uh, portal, jump point portal well, thing. And once they decided to put her in, it obviously, you know, the three of them making kind of this triangle and, and switching, it all made sense and it became a, a very important part of the plot. But yeah. I do think that the major reason why this movie had to have her there was so that they could send her to another universe and introduce the X-Men. Sure. That may be cynical, but there you go. There you go. So let's move on to Kamala, Ms. Marvel. Your yeah. thoughts there? Like we said, she's, she stole the show. She, she was actually just kind of the best thing about this. And all I can say is, so... I had not watched the Miss Marvel TV show a week ago, right? Or a little 10 days ago, I guess. And I we started reading the Miss Marvel comics and I I enjoyed them and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to want to watch the show before going to see the movie. And oh man, am I glad that I did because like I feel like I got a lot more out of the character and the character just ended up being even that much more endearing seeing her, you know, her arc in the, on the TV show and becoming Miss Marvel and then and then kind of jumping off in this movie. She she was fantastic. She was very memorable. Like you said all the scenes that that really stand out, I believe she was a part of pretty much every one of them. And mm -hmm. um yeah, I'm very much looking forward to what could be like a young Avengers that, that she's putting together here at the end of, end of the film. Yeah. It's interesting because in tone and almost in execution, this seems almost more like a spin, a movie spun off of the Ms. Marvel TV show yes. than a sequel to Captain Marvel. Yes. The, the tone of the TV show to this movie is a lot closer than the tone of this movie and some of the other MCU movies, right? 
specifically Captain Marvel. But yeah, very close from like the opening moments, because we have this we have Camilla drawing and doing the her whole fanfic thing. And we have this animation thing right at the very beginning. It's very much from the TV show. Yeah, I think that and and that's one of the things that probably some people who haven't been a big fan of the sort of lighter, more family-friendly tone of the the MCU Disney Plus shows are probably not happy about seeing that sort of tone find its way into more of the movies as well. So I think that, you know, at least at least some of the howling online comes from that. Well, there's obviously unnecessary and oft unreasonable howling in all sorts of directions at this movie. But I do think that that's part of it, is that folks were not expecting the Marvel Universe to sort of fold in as much of the Disney Plus stuff as it has. Because you, know, you look at WandaVision, um, largely was the thing that led directly into the Doctor Strange movie, and now Secret Invasion to an extent. And although Secret Invasion didn't really have much to do with this we saw more scroll well, yeah refugees, it was scrolls and Cree and and that kind of animosity between the two but that was that was about it yeah. yeah there there couldn't have been a bigger tonal shift between between secret invasion and and this and this one this one totally yeah. totally different and and i will say i think i like this i like this nick fury better that he is sort of the you know the the guy who's always got equipped for everything and is always in control and is not constantly getting messed up and just about destroying the planet. I, I like the more competent, happy Nick Fury. It seems. So let let's move on. Our villain, our villain for the piece is Darben, who we met last week. Yes. Not exactly a one to one translation of the character. No. So. <laughs> No, definitely not. The, no, I mean, Darbin. The, good. I, sorry, I will say that Darben is more interesting and a better character in this movie than they were in the comic. But that is an extremely low bar to clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I. I've heard some or read some criticisms that the character is kind of boring as far as a villain goes, and I think I can understand that. I mean, what what Darben is trying to do is basically destroy a bunch of worlds to to rebuild her own, and there's not really any sort of complexity to it or any sort of black and white to it. You can't even have really all that much empathy for 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 her and what she's doing so this to me just felt like a kind of standard villain of the comic book sort of villain and and not really like like what what she's doing destroying worlds and killing you know millions or billions of people is not small but at the same time it's not we can't compare every villain to thanos and what I keep seeing is everybody's comparing every villain in every Marvel movie to Thanos. And they're just, it's not going to happen. What did you it think should've... of Darben? I think Darben sucked. Uh, I, will, I will say that 
they stack the deck against the actors in a lot of ways. They stack the deck against the character because Darbin is a character that did not have a history. So there's not really anything to geek out on that was interesting or useful from the comics that they could mine. And the Darbin that we saw in the comics was a warrior who through deception managed to kill off a bad ruler of the Kree and then take over as a co-ruler of the Kree, which they took over in one issue and were murdered by a an assassin a, from the a Shire. Fake silver surfer. <laughs> In the next or, one. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, that's right. The the, yep. the Avengers and, the, and yep. that. Yeah. And so we really learned nothing about that character. But what I didn't like, I think, is that Darbin is essentially just Ronan, only less interesting. There's no real backstory. And the backstory we have is not given to us until halfway through the movie. Yeah. So they wanted to preserve this sort of weirdness of, well, why is everyone calling Captain Marvel the Annihilator? And to preserve that reveal for later in the movie, we didn't get any real idea of why she was doing the things she was doing, or specifically why she was targeting Captain Marvel, until way later in the film. And so that also made a lot of the things that she did. You know, we see her chipping away the rock to get the band, aha, now I've got this. I didn't really understand that she was saving her world or whatever until well long. I just thought she was breaking, breaking the sky for nefarious purposes undetermined. Right. Yeah. And so maybe watching again, I'd see more of that, but I think that if there's one big problem with any superhero story that you have to worry about, it's that your villain has to be, interesting at least so that there's a you've got somebody to fight that's worthy of your characters you know and i did not i did not think darbin was a great girl there's yeah, they, i don't know yeah if you if, if you look at the other two mcu films this year ant-man and the wasp quantumania and uh guardians of the galaxy 3 i think obviously High evolutionary was they did an excellent job of of creating the villain that is Steve worthy of yeah yeah uh, Kang in Quantumania was decidedly less great as far yeah. as this I think they felt like I think they did something similar right where you, you there was all of these hushed tones you don't talk about Kang all this sort of mm-hmm. thing this bad man in in the quantum realm and. And it does sort of feel like then that 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 final sort of conflict really isn't that rewarding or anytime they interact with the villain, it isn't all that rewarding. And I I can definitely I can definitely understand where you're coming from there. It was it was interesting. You mentioned the the universal weapon, the the accuser's (laughs) hammer that that Ronan had. She she actually wields one of those in here, and we find out that it is called the Universal Weapon uh, yeah. by by Carol Danvers. She she knows what that thing is uh, because, as you point out, they they both ended up. We find out they both were a part of the Star Force, the Kree kind of military group, just pos- probably at different times. 
but but that's how she's familiar with what that weapon is she that's why she's familiar with all of this but yeah it's 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 weird it's not have to be a villain does not have to be the high evolutionary no i mean that was a fantastic villain he's literally killing small animals and you 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 want to see someone rip his face off by the end right right i mean that is a that is you've got a visceral hatred of to the point where you, you no longer really worry about what his reasoning is you know for for Donovan, you know, the other the other thing is if she can do this couldn't she find a, a planet that doesn't have you know the that doesn't have people on it that's got atmosphere or that's got water so she's still fighting that war too you know that the first place yeah. she goes is the place where she can wipe out as many scrolls as possible and so i mean there there is a lot possible with this character but i think they needed to get her motives out there more quickly and and make sure that people knew what was going on and then also make it make the Cree homeworld seem more sympathetic. So one thing that someone said online that I find weird, and again, this is the basic science problems, is their their star has quit. It's gone dark, right? Yeah. And you see people standing around. They don't have light, but none of them are cold. When your star goes out, you should be freezing to death before you worry about the fact that you don't have, you know, light to go out and, and take a walk, right? Right, yeah. So they could have done a lot to have actually shown some of the real suffering going on and that, and to have established why what Darbin is doing isn't crazy. And they didn't do that early on. They didn't, they didn't really give that sympathetic... You know, villains' reasons have to be reasonable, at least to them, and something that they can explain. And they never bothered, really. They just had her start destroying stuff. Just blind vengeance, and uh, yep. and and that's about it. You know, which is too bad. But yeah. anyways, all right, Fury and the family. We got, we got, we got Nick Fury. We've got the cons. The cons go up to the space station. They're hanging out. They're meeting the Flurkins. They are <laughs> basically just enjoying life up there. Obviously, Kamala's mom is worried because she's going off into the, you know, off to the stars with a bunch of people she doesn't know. What did you think of the sort of that whole situation on the on the space station, the the saber station? I mean, it felt a little kind of like staged almost in that in that it's wholly done just to like keep them in the you know the cons in the film and to create more humorous moments because obviously Kamala's parents are not used to her being a superhero or dealing with cosmic things that are going on and super super villains and all this and 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 I love that Kamala Kamala's mom called called Nick Fury Nicholas. That was fantastic. And then Kamala immediately corrects her. <laughs> yes, nobody calls me no. Nicholas. Exactly. So I mean, it was it was it was definitely contrived. They they wanted to keep them in the story. You know, 
the I like that the brother's there, but the sister-in-law that 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 he marries in the TV show is nowhere to be found. Like he's like doing a video as they're going up to the up to the saber station. Like, uh, hey, here we're we're out in space. You know, we're traveling up, and yeah. then Fury's like, uh, we don't we don't allow you to do video up here. <laughs> so they like real matter of fact sort of kind of brushed off you know where is the sister-in-law but um i don't know it was it was good i i like those characters they they uh, definitely added to some humor and i and i think you mentioned that you liked fury in this film like he was he was yeah. he was competent and and trying to do good and and all this i i liked him in this he 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 for his fun as the brooding Nick Fury was in uh secret invasion. This was a, this was more of the Nick Fury. I recognized from, from all the other sort of MCU films. And he, he reminded me actually a little bit of like Samuel L. Jackson, just the actor in all the roles Samuel L. Jackson ends up playing in all his films, which is, you know, just this yep. likable badass. Yep. Do you, do you know, how bad Secret Invasion had to be for me to hate Samuel L. Jackson in anything. I, I, enjoyed, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed Snakes on a Plane, for heaven's sakes, because it had Sam Jackson in it. So yeah. I I I find it almost impossible that that they messed that up. And I'm just glad to have the Fury back that I've been enjoying for years. You know? Yeah. So yeah, he's he is a just an actor that almost any time he's on screen, I'm happy he's there. And that followed through here as well. I was happy he was there. Uh, it was ridiculous. Why would you take a random family onto a space station in the middle of a potential war? I yeah. don't know. It made no sense, but they did. So, again, just don't think about it too much, and it's entertaining because now you've got the cons there to provide some additional sort of, uh, you know, they're they're talking with the aliens and giving them life insurance type of thing to a three hundred year old or whatever. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. They needed somebody, some other people to herd the cats into the uh, in, in, yeah. into the the escape pod. So, uh, sigh. But so that was that was interesting. And then you know they had all the other people. It was kind of almost like a, a Deep Space Nine type of thing where you had aliens from all over that were that were on the on the space station and the like. So, but while they're doing that, our, our heroes are taking off to the Skrull homeworld, where they go there to find the Skrulls and to essentially warn them that Darbin might be coming. Darbin was already there and evidently had attempted to broker some sort of deal with them, where she was going to right. get them off the planet and then she was going to steal their atmosphere, right? wasn't really so much as a deal as a take it or leave it sort of thing. But nonetheless, when Captain Marvel arrives, she's like, you brought the Annihilator here, now I'm going to kill you all. And she starts just sucking the atmosphere off of their planet. So what did you think of the, the scroll sequence and all that occurred? It was, like... I didn't actually think too much of it, to be perfectly frank. It, it just, it actually happened rather quickly and you're still kind of nebulous as to what exactly is going on with Darben 
and and what what she's trying to do and like it, it felt like it was there just to sort of do a bunch have a bunch of action sequences have some things explode and ultimately i think kind of the worst part about it is the fact that you know you realize basically that all these scrolls ended up dying after you know all the events that kind of occurred in captain marvel and in secret invasion you find out you know that they've been mm-hmm. trying to find a home world and i feel bad for the scrolls basically and yep. like they they didn't they did it seems like they don't deserve this yet they bad things keep happening to them and like it's it's it didn't it also did not seem like it resonated very well very long with the with our big our our hero triumvirate the the marvels themselves they were like camilla was like these people are dying you know all these people are going to die and she's like well you have to save who we can and that's definitely a military way of looking at it but at the same time it's like there was definitely like it was rather jarring that that happened very quickly. A lot of stuff happened, a lot of things died, and then it just sort of moved on very quickly from that. And see, here's the thing: from a tonal perspective, almost everything in this was played more sort of light and character driven, and yet there's essentially a genocide dropped into the middle of it that is dealt with for a couple minutes and then just forgotten about. What I did yeah. like, what I think the most, what from a story, a plot standpoint, what was the most interesting element that they could have done is that, you know, Kamala has been fangirling on Captain Marvel for all this time. And now you have a scene where he actually gets to get a look behind the curtain at what it means to be a hero, what it means to have the power of life and death. And now sometimes you have to make tough choices. And she loses, or I would think she should lose, a lot of that sort of innocent reverence of this character at that point. And you see, uh-huh. for just a second, that disappointment in her eyes and the like. And it may, the, the, they didn't really play it up at all, but I think that Amon Vellani did a great job in that scene. You could kind of get that idea that she goes... This is not the person I thought I was worshiping, right? Yeah. But then they get on the plane and they have a mind merge where they go through their memories and then it seems everything's okay and they have a hug. And I found that weird. I would have liked it if Kamala would have held on to more of that disillusionment longer. There there should have at least been a conversation or something This sort of, you know... Where, where Carol Danvers maybe explains, you know, this no. sort of thing happens. We get in these situations, people end up dying that we don't intend. There's consequences, all this sort of thing, and that yeah, it didn't happen. There, they just sort no. of, they just sort of moved on quickly from yep. that. And then we don't know. Uh, assume yeah, the planet gets all its oxygen taken, and all the remaining skulls obviously die, along with every other living thing on that planet that depends on atmosphere. So that's that's not a great save by the captain. And he doesn't go back to try and help, even though she's got the powers to restart stars and all of this. She just flies off on this ship and leaves whatever's happening to happen. The 
the end of that, the scrolls are now on this sort of ship, and they need to go somewhere. So it's like, wow, we got a bunch of scrolls we've got to drop off. And so Captain Marvel's like, ah, I got a friend. She calls in Valkyrie, who comes in for just a couple minutes, picks up the scrolls on a rainbow bridge, and takes off. And this seems to be just weird. Like, what was the point yes. of Valkyrie being in this movie? I I don't know. It was I I guess just you had to have a quick and easy way to get the scrolls off the ship that they were able to save. Couldn't they have just put so them that they could move ship? on? Then maybe I mean, there was another ship on this planet, and then so yeah. I have a theory. It's actually something that I think is supported from what I've seen online, but Disney has started trying to walk this line where they want to be progressive. They want to signal inclusiveness of certain groups. But they also don't want to get banned in China and Saudi Arabia. So there's a lot of people saying that this was sort of a nod to sort of the LGBT community that you know, this is Captain Marvel and Valkyrie in a relationship and they have a little kiss at the end and then she goes away. And if that is what it is, it's ridiculously cynical that they spend all that time just to have essentially just the tiniest little crumb trying to, to send out while not doing anything actual. I don't know if that is actually, but it seems to be one of the only things that makes any sense why you would bother to have Valkyrie in this. The, the dialogue for that sequence is, is kind of weird too there's like allusion alluding alluding text that is being yeah. used or dialogue that's being used and like everything's with a kind of a wink and a and a nod and you and i like had no idea what was going on exactly and it and it, and it also because it happens so fast like yes she's in the movie like three minutes if so this if three minutes my next Contention, And again, had a good time with this movie, but boy, do I have notes more than I do on most. So the, the whole, the whole compression of that storyline with Valkyrie leads to the thing that bothers me with the next place they go to as well, which is Aladna, where they meet Prince Yan. And what I don't like about this is this was a cool sequence. It was a great idea. They get to this planet. In the comics yeah. we read last week, everybody on this planet spoke in rhymes, right? Essentially right. like poetry. Yes. Here, everybody sings, which is, I mean, when you've got essentially a, you know, the ability to put put it to, to motion, it makes sense they would make them sing instead. Super colorful, interesting world. Again, we're there for like three minutes total, at which point it gets blown up, right? Or yeah. pretty much. If you're going to do a Bollywood treatment in your movie, just go for it, right? Either don't do this or commit to it. You know, if you're going to do Bollywood, do Bollywood. Do the six-minute crazy song with all of the nuts stuff going on and everything that those movies do. And yeah. just actually, you know, if, if you're going to have a gay character in it, just have a gay character in it. If you're going to do people breaking into song in the middle of your movie, then don't hide it and try and pretend that somehow you didn't, you know, decide you were going to try and do this. 
they just didn't seem willing to commit to this to the ideas that they were trying and everything just seemed like it was a little bit cautious and safe where they wanted to be able to do something fun but they're like ah oh, this might be too much for the internet we're going to have to stop at 30 seconds or whatever and and so i think they could have done a lot more with this i think looking at what i've seen on the web they maybe had a lot more of this because the actor who plays Princeon is actually a very, very famous guy over in Asia. Um, I think you looked up some on him. And yeah. it seems like just everything about this, there should have been a bigger buildup and a bigger resolution than what we got. Yeah, definitely. And even in the trailer trailers that leading up to this movie, I feel like they sort of intimated that there could be some really big sort of thing happening uh and we don't know where but it just sort of looks like it it it, it would have been in aladna so we have Paxo jun is is a k-drama actor who was apparently very popular uh, from shows Kill Me Heal Me she was pretty and what's wrong with secretary kim uh he had a his most notable film that you've probably seen actually is the Oscar award winning movie Parasite. He had a brief but role but significant role as the friend of the Kim family and an English tutor for the Park family. So he was actually in that film as well. And like, you know, the the little bit that he like, it seems like if you bring in somebody of this like stature that you would have them do something, you know, memorable or, you know, have this character that is important mm -hmm. or is memorable. And like he, you know, they do this little dance routine, him and Carol Danvers. And, and that was about it. He had, he had like about two dozen lines maybe. And that was about it. And, and it was, and he gives them, uh, you know, uniforms or, or like costumes replacement costumes yeah and so i mean i know that we're supposed to review the movie that we got not the one we wanted but i will okay. note that i am a little bit freaked out by the fact that at some point it appears captain marvel simply left her husband and his planet took off to go save Earth, and we have to assume they are now on some weird desert world and all of their water has been taken and they're all soon to die. Yeah. And I, I just have to believe there was a better ending to that part of the story, unless they're like, well, we can give her a husband, but he's got to be gone so we can have, you know, we don't want a moonlighting situation here where our lead is, is married or whatever. But... It seems to me that from the standpoint of a a proper story arc, if she failed on the Skrull homeworld, what should have happened is we get to a point where it looks like things are hopeless on Aladna. They're getting ready to leave. And at the last minute, Captain America, or 
And at the last minute, Captain Marvel looks back. She sees this disaster. And instead of leaving and letting this planet be destroyed, she's like, you know, screw this save the people I can save. I'm freaking Captain Marvel. I can save everybody. <laughs> yeah. And she goes back and saves the day and then kind of brings Kamala full circle to understand again why she cares and why she thinks that Captain Marvel's so great. And that never happened, you know? We never really had that that big hero saves the day arc. Uh, the closest we get is, is Carol sneaking into essentially the, the Kree system after the movie and reigniting their star by just sort of flying through it. So it's weird that way. But but what did happen is that they're there for a few minutes, Darbin appears, a battle ensues, and the water starts going up in funnels into the sky, and Darbin gets away, hops onto a ship, zooms out, and they're like, oh, she's going to Earth. And then they follow, follow her. her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I found that unsettling, to be quite frank. Yeah. So, um, in any case, uh, the other the other interesting thing, by the way, that someone mentioned, I don't know if you've ever watched Spaceballs, but, but, but an actual fact has been noted that the, the plot of this in many ways follows, or the, the evil plot is very similar to the one in Spaceballs, where you've got sure. the giant vacuum. Vacuum, yeah. Made with the, the suck and blow robot that takes the atmosphere uh -huh. and sucks it all in, and then, yeah. So, I don't know if that was an intentional nod, but... It's kind of hilarious if it was. I had not even put that together, but yeah, I guess I guess there is a little bit of a similarity there, if, if however loose. Yes. We, I think, bef as we're as we're wrapping this discussion up, I think we have to talk about like that final sort of battle out in space outside of earth on the space station and around the sun as the final final thing happens i knew there was going to be you know we were going to have goose and mm -hmm. from the trailer we saw some kittens and uh yeah we got we got flurkins we got uh a, a flurkin lot of kittens in, the, in this film. And I did not, I did not, the, the, this might be the, the, the Fonz jumps the shark sort of thing for some people that the, they oh. end up being the sort of thing that saves the day because they need to escape the space station. And the only there, there's way, way too many people, hundred plus people that need to be saved and like 10 escape pods that they need to fit in. And the escape pods can hit fit maybe four people, uh, you know, per. So how are they going to get people there? Oh, we're going to use the flurkins. We're going to have the flurkins eat the, the members of the people on the station. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, wrangle them into an escape pod, send it to Earth, and then they'll throw up the 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 the, the, the creature that they ate up in the space station so that they'll survive. 
that was and all of that by the way to the song memory which is from the broadway musical cats which i did not know my wife knew she she was like of yes that's you i need to i she was like i need to send you to or you need to see more musicals that, that you didn't know that was from cats uh so i did not know that was from cats what yeah so that was something the other thing is like the actual kind of final battle is done very quickly and like there there isn't this like prolonged 20 to 30 minute battle sequence with lots of people or lots of things blowing up and things going down and, and all this sort of thing and you have to keep track it was actually done very quickly and and yeah darbin actually gets what she wants she gets both bangles she goes out into space and rips the hole and ends up dying as a result of it and and, and mm-hmm. so it was weird because it had this like weird kind of crazy slapstick sort of thing with the cats going on and then the battle with the actual main villain happened and ended so quickly that it was just sort of like wow this is this is weird what did what did you think of that third that third act that final sequence? I mean, it starts out with the Flurkins being sort of these eggs that they're finding around the station. So it had kind of a trouble with tribbles sort of yes. vibe to it initially. Yes, it did. Yes, but then once they're there, I mean, you know, it's it's animated space cats, and they were kind of adorable, and they were kind of weird. But this is. They were adorable. There's a very on. much a, a mileage will vary thing. I think that this is going to be like Thor's goats or some uh, of these things where there's going to yeah. be some people who may have been on the edge anyways if they're a little bit allergic to female lead characters or non, you know, dark and gritty superheroes, that this would have just sent them over the edge to where they couldn't take it. Um I thought it was fine, but it also was dumb. Like this, this, this is undeniably something that is not happening in a serious superhero movie, right? They've, it's, they've but made it's a, a declaration. Comic, it's a comic book movie. Like, Again, you could have. I almost like, think this should have been earlier, so that you can just go and you're like, "Well, this is the kind of movie I'm in. I'm in a sure. cats, cats eating people to save them movie, right?" And then sure. you, don't, you don't have to worry about tone anymore. And yeah. and that is, I, I think sometimes even when listening to um, DeCosta talk about the movie, she talked about it as being more of a serious adventure in a lot of ways. And and so I, did. I think they didn't even know what the tone was they were going for. Because what was the quote you had? This will... She, she was trying, so there was talk that she did an interview and talked about how this film was going to be more mature and emotional than its predecessor, Captain Marvel, more similar kind of in a tone or motif of WandaVision or Black Widow, saying that this would deal with specific, personal, and sometimes sad things, like how people deal with pain and trauma. And yeah, that seems very juxtaposed to the to the to the cats eating people thing. And just in general, did you see people really dealing with pain and trauma? 
they had that one scene where they kind of did some flashbacks and talked through some things, but it was very limited. And and I think you had to, you had to be empathetically reading things into the scene to really get that out of it. Otherwise, it yeah. was more an information dump, right? It was yeah. backstory rather than emotion. And so I, I think that, you know, you kind of also have to judge a movie based on what the director thinks they're giving you or says they're giving you. And if what she wanted to give us was a mature and emotional film, I'm not sure that's what I thought I got. I enjoyed it by largely turning off most of the, you know, that sort of stuff and just going, oh, this is a movie where people punch each other in space and there's, you know, water being sucked up into space holes and then cats eat people. Yeah. And, and that is not, this was not an, a mature and emotional film. It was a fun film. And I actually think that <laughs> movies like this are a good thing for the MCU, but they have to advertise them properly, right? The early, I think the early trailers for this gave you a pretty good idea what they were planning to do. But the last few trailers turned much more muted, had a lot more serious posing, and it showed, you know, some of the other uh, guest stars and stuff more. And I think really sort of gave us a different a different story than what we really had. So I think the cats were an interesting an interesting thing. A lot of people, I would bet it's their favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people I, I, I bet I would the, bet. Their yeah. least favorite part of the movie. It's, it's <laughs> I would also bet that. <laughs> I would I would bet that as well. I would bet that as well. All right. Post credit scene. Let's our mid credit scene, I guess. There is no post credit scene. There's just a uh, post credits. There's just a cat making a throw up noise, which we got to hear quite a bit of right at the end of the film. But the mid credit scene, we find out what happens to Monica Rambo. She's in uh, with a, a she's in a hospital looking room uh, and realizes that her mother or a woman that looks much like her mother is sitting in a chair right next to at, at her bedside. And that was, that was like kind of heartwarming. Actually. I was like, this is shocking. I wasn't expecting this. And, you know, we find out Maria Rambo dies during the film to, to cancer. I think it was. And, and like, you're like, you, they're getting to see each other. This is great. And then all of a sudden, Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Beast, in all his big blueness, comes walking into the room and starts talking. And I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting from a mid credit scene or what I was hoping for, but I'm very happy with this mid credit scene. He references Charles Xavier wanting to know how, how the patient is doing. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that Monica Rambo isn't dead. And that we're going to see more of her, presumably. And I'm very much looking for the payoff of of seeing the X-Men in the MCU. Very cool. Yeah, I'm... I am interested in seeing what they do. On the other hand, I do find it a little bit concerning that there are a number of people who are like, well, my favorite part of the movie was the end credit scene. 
And Marvel, yeah. Marvel has made a mistake if they start figuring that dessert is the thing that people are going to keep coming to the movies for, right? So they need to make sure that the movie is the best thing. And then the end credit scene is the thing that makes you hope that the next movie is like the one you just saw. And so yes. that said, yeah, I mean, it was cool. Kelsey Grammer back as the Beast doing his thing. Yes. Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, this implies there's this universe where Maria Marimbo gets there first. She's the one to the hangar. She's the one that goes off with Marvell and ends up getting the blast. And then because of that, she's the one that then gets to be Captain Marvel and go to the stars. And presumably, I suppose Carol's taking care of her kid back on Earth and uh, wondering where she went to. So... We'll see yes. see how that worked out, but it's it's interesting. It's a, it's a cool um, it's a cool setup. Now we'll just have to see that goes. And it's a relatively comic accurate costume uh, for her. A lot of people did say that the fully animated beast was a little bit jarring for them, and it was it was a little bit weird, but it didn't bother me at all. Because um, the Kelsey Grammer is not a young guy these days, so getting him into the Beast no. makeup probably would not be easy. So he may be animated in almost all forms that he plays the character moving forward. So, All right, so we talked about the fact that this movie is going to gross the lowest opening weekend domestically of any of the MCU films. The previous lowest was actually The Incredible Hulk that made $55 million, just over uh, in its in its debut, there's been lots of reviews online and 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 lots of comments about the opening weekend and its um, lower box office total that I think are going to perpetuate the fact that this film is not going to end up making nearly the money that it would have made uh, under other circumstances. We had the strike that just ended. Uh, so now the actors and actresses can go out promoting uh, the film and things like this now. But that happened basically 48 hours, maybe before before this movie uh, was really was released. What what have you been seeing or what do you think of all the kind of the takes online and in social media and the reviews and, and, and all of that? I think there's just a lot of. I think two things. First off, that there are a lot of people making unfair inferences from the fact it's not making a ton of money. And secondly, that Marvel needs to reset what they expect to be able to do out of some of these films. Now, as someone mentioned, this is taking out any kind of, of gender or racial sorts of elements. This is one of the last Avengers characters introduced into the MCU. It's a character who, you know, their their original movie was many years ago, and Captain Marvel has not had that much screen time since. And most of the other characters are coming out of television shows. So this is a sort of a world-building type of movie that you're not going to get probably to a billion dollars like the first Captain Marvel did, just because, number one, all the factors you mentioned... Are, are in play, that the strike and all that. I think that superheroes definitely have oversaturated. Disney overplayed its hand by giving us eight Marvel properties a year. You know, I think we did the math on that. What's what, like 
If, if yeah. you've got six weeks for each one for, for the four shows, that's 24 plus four movies, that's 28 to the 52 weeks you're getting new Marvel content. How do you keep people interested? And how do you get people to go in and, you know, I took my two kids on opening weekend, and because we can't use our passes for my son working at the theater, we had to pay. And it's 60 bucks plus 20 or $30 in concessions to go see the Marvels, you know? Eh... You could, you could almost get an entire <laughs> year of Disney Plus for that. So are people right. just going to, for a lot of this stuff, wait for it to come to streaming, even if it is good, you know? And so yeah. I think that one interesting thing for this could be that after the initial wave, the secondary word of mouth on this has actually been pretty good. Most people, I think, kind of like us, have come out of us going, come out of the movie going, you know, yeah, I understand why people had some concerns that this was not the best movie in the MCU, but I had a good time, and it, you know, it was well-paced. You're not bored by it at all. The characters are interesting. Sure, I'll go see this movie. So I think it might have, <laughs> I think it might have better legs than some of the movies that have flopped, because this is not Morbius, where it's actually kind of just a terrible movie, right? It's a pretty decent movie that just got a really, really bad rap coming out of the gate. I, th- I think we have to talk at least briefly. This is directed by the first black woman to direct an MCU property. And the, the fact that, you know, Brie Larson, when Captain Marvel came out was very much criticized about about the film in a lot of different ways and and it seems like it's that same thing that happened in 2019 when Captain Marvel came out is happening again and now they're focusing not only on Brie Larson but they're also focusing on Nia DaCosta as well the the director and it and it's it's infuriating it, it is actually very maddening to see this happen now, I think it's also something though that if you probably want to keep in mind that the the people who are doing this are such a tiny little minority, unless you're actually watching videos on YouTube and looking for this sort of nonsense. You know, most people don't know who directs a film when they go to it. And they're not looking to see what the political spectrum of a film is before they go to watch it. They'll get that idea of... Specific- Specifically MCU films, because sure. like there are directors, Martin oh. Scorsese, the, those sorts of people that, that do kind of have that following. Yes, but when uh, you go to watch the Fast know, and the Furious but, movie or the new Mission Impossible, you're not going because sure. of the director, right? Yeah. And so I think prob- a lot of yeah. folks are not going to be that concerned with it. The problem really is that there were a number of reviews that came out pretty early that were relatively savage. And I think in the case of a lot of those, the problem more is that a lot of people who are fans of traditional cinema have just decided it's time to savage superhero movies because they're tired of them. And well, any and all that come and out. And, and unfortunately, just... the problem is that Marvel dragged its feet making movies starring women or giving black folks a chance to you know, take the lead 
until we get to this point where now superheroes are having a tough time. And so people can look at those factors and blame it. When in actual fact, most of this is just fatigue for these movies. And the idea that if you want to make a movie that's a superhero movie now, it's got to be good and stand on its own. Because the Marvel brand is not by and of itself going to save you. So, that said, it's infuriating to me that all of these idiots get to sort of be able to wander around preening about how they've, you know, taken down the evil Marvel empire, when in actual fact it's just that Marvel made a bad movie, and that is getting in their way. Or at least made a movie that is fun, but is easily something that can be picked apart by critics. Because if you yeah. think about it too much and you go in and you look at it critically, there are a lot of elements that you can you can take apart. So I it it is a uniquely it's kind of like again what you expect to because when a critic would have gone in and watched Dumb and Dumber, they're not going to be analyzing the plot holes, right? Right. Because they know that it's a show about a couple of morons that isn't meant to be taken seriously. But the way that this film was positioned was as a standard MCU superhero drama. And in that case, I think we would have expected less fun and levity and more sort of adherence to plot and continuity than what we got. So, yeah, sucks. I think it was well-directed in terms of, you know, a lot of them said that it was um, chopped apart. But the scenes themselves looked pretty good. Um, I liked the action direction and the like. Um, a lot of the things as far as the uh, the set dressings and the like, they, they seem to have done a lot more stuff with practical creation of sets and the like. And so that's cool. So I actually have a note about that in our tidbits oh. section here. So we can, we can move on. We can move on to this. So real quick, just a couple of small things because we are running a bit long. Principal photography began on this film July 26th, 2021. Pinewood Studios in Buckinghamshire and Longcross Studios in England under the working title Goat Rodeo. And actually on that, uh, on those studio lots, production created 54 sets for five different planets and space stations. The Sabre Space Station... Maria Rambo's and Camilla Khan's family houses. Uh, DaCosta specifically said they wanted each planet to feel distinct with their production design. So yeah, they did a lot of sets uh, 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 at these studios to try and help make that that look and feel happen. You just find all the information. I should just wait until your tidbits <laughs> and not have to say anything. You've got it. You've got it covered yeah. down here, man. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. Proceed. So. Uh, Tiona Paris actually in her preparation for this role took up boxing as a way to try and help uh, get ready for the film which I, which I thought was interesting it actually makes perfect sense given given you know some of the things that they were they were asked to do in this as well as uh, Zowie Ashton was encouraged to prioritize agility and strength training uh, before before shooting the role Two other quick things. The Marvel Studio logo, did you notice that was different? The second half of it 
switched uh, to shots of Carol Danvers from Captain Marvel, shots of Monica from uh, WandaVision, and shots of Kamala Khan from the Miss Marvel TV show, respectively. So you had the original. No. You had the original sort of people you saw in there at the beginning, the original Avengers, and then kind of the second half of the logo appearing, it, it actually switched to our three main characters from the film. Huh. And also, real briefly, at the end of the film, we actually got to see the new Statue of Liberty. Uh, when Nick Fury crash lands in New York City at the end of the film, we see a bronze Statue of Liberty that has been uh, rebranded and now actually has a facsimile of Captain America's shield. Uh, if you recall, the statue was damaged during the events of Spider-Man No Way Home, and it looks to have been rebuilt, and it is now officially known as the Liberty Avenger. So uh, I did notice the face was bronze and was like, that's weird. That looks interesting. I don't get why that is. Uh, but I did not notice the actual Captain America's shield in there as well. But apparently... Uh, at least for for a moment, uh, it is it is in there. So, oh, isn't that interesting? All right. So, some references to the comics. Obviously, Darben, our our villain. There was singing uh, that was going on. We had the Flarkins. We had the Saber Station, uh, which is an extension of Sword and uh, Tarnax. Actually, I I so. That was from the comics as well. I didn't mm -hmm. realize that, that it was actually Tarnax is from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. It was introduced way back in Fantastic Four number 18 from 1963, and it is the capital of the Skrull Empire. Uh, Tarnax 4, also known as Throne World, has been featured in storylines included in the Fantastic Four, Captain Marvel, the Illuminati, the X-Men, Galactus, and many more characters. And it was Galactus, not Darben, that is responsible for destroying Tarnax in the comics. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that there was... I, I should have known, but I didn't know that that's where Tarnax was from. Is there a difference between Tarnax and Tarnax 4? Or is that the same thing? I don't know. I'm assuming <laughs> it's the same thing. I thought thing. it was, but... Uh, all right. Yep. So, yeah. Basically, Galactus is not in this yet because he's in um, a Fantastic Four character, currently under license still, or was the other way. So they were free to use something else to destroy that planet because he was not the cause at this point. Maybe he will be later. All right, Dwayne. So we have read some comics last week. We've watched the movie. So here's the question, who did this best? So if you had to pick, I'm going to go with your favorite book from last week, which was Captain Marvel number right. 9 from 2012. Uh, relatively short, but then the movie's relatively short. So, or the Marvels from 2023. Which one did you like better? So I'm, I'm going to give the nod to the Marvels. I, I liked the film. It was fun. It was quick. And... I think I'm going to tell you that I think the reason I like it is is Iman Vellani and Kamala Khan as much as any reason. Like, probably the biggest reason that, that I'm going to pick the Marvels over, over the comic book. Because it just, 
there was she was great in this and i am now excited to see anything that has miss marvel in it going forward and uh everything else i mean all things being you know similar like they they both told a very quick story about about alana and uh there was a little singing a little rhyming that sort of thing but it was it was done a little too quick and you definitely don't want to think too hard about what actually happened while you were there. There you go. Yeah, I uh I don't know. I I suspect I, I like that entire Captain Marvel run so much I would I would rerun read those before uh before watching the Marvels again, probably. But I I I had I have nothing against the Marvels. I think it was a perfectly fun film. I don't think I'll be rewatching it that many times, but there are parts of it I would happily watch over and over again. Uh, I do think they really missed an opportunity because they had a like a a K drama actor. They had Amon Vellani, who's an American Pakistani uh, actress. There's a huge market in Asia for you know superhero movies. I think they should have just completely leaned into the craziness of all of this and made. A movie that was that was really truly international, and then marketed as such, and we might be seeing a very different situation this weekend. But with what we have, um, hopefully, people will get through the noise of a lot of the initial naysayers and understand that this is perfectly solid entertainment in the Marvel mold, and go enjoy. Yeah, there. There are definitely a number, uh, several MCU films I would not watch again. This is not one of them. This is actually a very entertaining film. And like I said, if you don't think too hard about some of the specifics on it or the ramifications, I guess, of the actions that occurred on screen that are happening off screen, I, I think it's enjoyable. I think you would. I, I think it's worth watching. And I hope the people that I'm seeing online that are saying, oh, I'm just waiting to, for it to come out on streaming. I hope they do actually watch it when it comes out on streaming, because I, I think they will will enjoy it. Movies are meant to be seen in theaters. So go see it in theaters. I still love I still love there. Regardless, there's something about sitting down got some popcorn, got my kids there with me, watch the Marvel logo come up, and it's going to be a couple good hours, regardless, really, what I get. It's better than doing something else in most cases. So I'm... You yeah. You, you and Nicole Kidman have, have that in common, I guess. There you go. Yeah. She 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 is she does a uh, ad for AMC theaters that uh, extols the virtues of of going and seeing a movie in an AMC theater and that it's just an experience in and of itself. And so there you go. We do not have any AMCs, but uh, our, our Marcus theaters are also quite comfortable and, and excellent. All right, Dan, I think we've wrapped up our discussion on the Marvels. Real quick, tell us where are we headed next week? So this is uh this is end of end of an era time or at least a season for us. We have been for about a year and a half now going through movies 
from the MCU and reading comics about those movies. We've now finished up Phase 3. We've sort of watched a bunch of the movies since Phase 3 intermittently as they've came out. So there's a few we're missing, but not many. And we've actually decided that it's time to move on to another season, looking at some different things. So we're going to do a wrap-up next week, where we're going to come back, and I'm going to just ask Dwayne a few questions about what he thought of this year-and-a-half odyssey we've been on, what he thought about some of the comics we read, what he thought about some of the movies we've watched. Maybe we'll get a little bit into which ones are some of our favorites or what are some of the things that we're looking forward to in the future out of Marvel and that sort of stuff. And then we're going to be taking off after that back into the world of Moon Knight and then on to new topics. So it's going to be exciting. Stick with no. us for the next few weeks here. We've got uh, got some fun stuff coming up. Yes, it is going to be a lot of fun, and we're very excited about where we are headed. But that is for another time. With that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Maybe you saw the Marvels this weekend. Let us know what you think. You can send those to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com, or you can reach out to us via social media. We are on X at Comics Over Time, as well as Blue Sky at Comics Over Time. Dan, I'm glad we got to watch a new, another new movie, the, the most recent Phase 4 entry and the last one of 2023. Really looking forward to going and looking at everything and and talking about that and then jumping back and looking at Mark Spector and Moon Knight a little bit to round out, round out the year. Yep, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stay with us, folks. Until then, take care, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>